That mental piece is really important in terms of your preparation, but just before you go on to perform, just getting yourself in that sweet spot. Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to another edition of the Strive Stronger podcast, where we pull apart those two words, strive, from the French word estrave, which means pushing through challenging times and coming out the other side, and stronger. It's all about being stronger physically, psychologically, emotionally, financially, in every part of our lives. Today's guest is George Gregan. Born in Lusaka, Zambia, George's family moved to Australia when he was two years old and he grew up in Canberra where he was educated at St Edmunds College. I went to Darramalan, we'll have to talk about that. After school, he graduated with a Bachelor of Education and Physical Education from the University of Canberra. George played 139 games for the Wallabies, which is more games for Australia than any other player in the sport's history. He is respected throughout the rugby world for his tenacity, tactical skill, leadership ability and sportsmanship. George also played representative junior cricket. He has a single-figure golf handicap and he caddied for Michael Campbell in the US Open. Father to Max, Charlie and Jazz, George is arguably busier now than he was in his playing days with a portfolio that includes being an ambassador and company director of PTP Total Body Conditioning. He's a global ambassador for Jaguar Land Rover and an international rugby commentator for Fox Sports. Somehow we've managed to grab him in between all of that. George Greek and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Andrew. It's a very kind introduction. Well, it's true. And, and doing research on you, there's a lot of information and it would be the obvious way to talk about your rugby test, starting with the ACT Brumbies, then the Wallabies and finishing your career with Toulon in France. And then three years, I think you had uh, with Suntory in Japan. But let, let's park that. I want to go a little bit of a different angle to start with. Talent. What, what, what is your thoughts on talent? So if, if a parent came and said, George, I've got a daughter who's an awesome rugby player, soccer player, netballer. How would you define talent? Yeah, and mind you, I do get you do get those questions on the sidelines um, from budding parents, be it from uh, a lot of sports my kids have played, uh, and that's great, really supportive. And I think there's different levels of talent, that's for sure. You, you see someone with unbridled talent. To me, that's just making the game look very, very easy. Someone who's talented, they have time. If you, if you think of cricket, I always come back to cricket. I love cricket. Great batsmen have time. They can see the field. They pick shots. They, t- they play shots um, that no one else can play. But a lot of hard work goes into talent. And there's fundamentals. I, I use that word a lot. Playing and also when I've done a little bit of coaching since retiring. If you've got good fundamentals, really sound fundamentals, someone's taught you those at a very young age, that allows you to enjoy the game and play the game at a really uh, enjoyable level and get better. Anytime you look at talented sports people, men and women, they've always got really good core skills, but they're always developing their game. So to me, what talent is, is yeah, you show talent by having a good a good base of core skills, particularly early in your life. And it's obviously come through good coaching or teaching from someone within your family or outside of your family. Uh, but then talent only takes you so far. There's a lot of people who weren't as talented at a certain time in their life, you probably wouldn't go on and achieve. So no, it's I think a good grounding in core skills and, and, and those fundamentals is really, really important to having good talent. That's my, my take. Like the hand-eye coordination, there's sums with, and your, your physiological, I guess, set up. If you've got a good background in terms of parents, athletic, fast twitch, you're gonna move quicker and that kind of stuff. But yeah, that, that's something which you can't control in terms of uh, your skill set. You can develop parts of that through training over time. But no, the, the fundamental core skills of playing a sport, I think are really, really important. And uh, to me, that's I see that when I look at people who are talented. If I paraphrase that, it's talented. So there's some natural talent there. Hard work, because we all know the kid who's oh. the rock star at 14 and they're nowhere to be seen at 18 or 19. But there's another word you said there, 
and I, and I was happy to hear it. I didn't maybe expect it was enjoyment. Talk to me about that, and specifically I, yeah. around you and enjoying well, what you did. I, I love sport. I, I was a sports nut at a really early age. I was introduced to cricket by my father and grandfather. I think he carved me a little bat down at Churros, and I, I just loved it. And all I wanted to do was play cricket. All you wanted to do was play backyard cricket. And being the youngest, all I wanted to do was bowl my brother out or my sister out or whoever was playing so I could bat next. So you became really competitive, but you learn about and you watched a lot of sport. Like, like obviously, when I was growing up at that age, you got people like DK Lilly, you got the great West Indians, Andy Roberts. So you just, you're mimicking. And I think that's some of the best uh, learning of fundamentals and skills is watching the best people do it. And then you try and mimic. And, and someone might tell you, oh, this is how you hold the ball. That's the run up. Okay, that's how you work. And, and then you've got to hit the stump. So you, and then you practice. So when everyone else is probably not finished the game or they've gone in for, you know, morning tea or for lunch or whatever it is, like you might be bowling those extra balls. You might be trying to hit that one stump. So that's fun. That's the challenge. And, and I love that. And I think you can always do that. And there's always games. So the games isn't necessarily looking at a computer or putting a headset on and playing against all these people around the world. It's actually, that, that's a game, that, that's skill set and people putting lots of hours and preparation into that. But this is actually the physical piece of enjoying the sport. And that's hard work. It's the work that no one sees uh, which makes the difference. I think that's really, really important. I learned that and I heard that quote from a coach at the AIS. And it is, once you're in the, I guess the, the coaches are in the team environment, that's important. Like you, everyone's there and you're working towards something together. I'm talking from a team sport. There's a lot of work you can do away from that, which um, really enhances when you get onto the field. And like, that's the fun part. I really do feel you make it fun by making it a game. Like I use that one stump analogy, you might bowl for three stumps, then you take two stumps and it's one stump and bang, then you might make that stump thinner. Whatever it is, you're just having games and you're just trying to, okay, refine that skill. So when the time comes, you can say, well, I can hit the one stump. I can hit that one stump. I can hit that leg stump. I can hit either stump. I can bowl right. You hear that I love cricket. I keep coming back to cricket. I know you, you're passionate about cricket. And one of the researchers I spoke to is a good friend of yours named Shane Lee. Now, Shane Lee, I said, uh, what, what can I talk about George? There's a couple of things he told me that I probably shouldn't say in a public forum. And you know, Shane has that <laughs> infectious laugh. What he did say, George, is George thought he was Canberra's version of Viv Richards. But he just couldn't hit a. <laughs> but he just couldn't hit a cover That's drive. True. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't hit it off the square, as they used to tell me for like the two hours I was batting or more. Well, he said very, that very one, one time he was playing you in a junior representative game. I think it was under 19s New South Wales versus ACT. He'd got seven or eight for, and Jay Gregan was there for the whole innings. He said you were twenty off about two hundred and fifty dollars. It's true. That's very very true. That was, a, was like a really hot day in Canberra. Yeah, mm. good at cricket, good at golf, good at rugby. How did you choose? And when you talk about talent and then it, hard work, skill, what, what happened to really then narrow your path down to rugby? Good good choice yeah. too, by the way. I think you made the right choice. No, it's, it's a good choice. But I think that the skill acquisition you got from playing all those different sports, I played basketball when I was at school too at a young age. I used to play basketball on Friday nights before you play rugby the next day. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Like the thought of doing that now, like everyone's really isolated and really focused on one sport, but we're really encouraged to play multi-sports. And I think, you know, you learn different strategy, you learn different skills, particularly basketball, you're passing with both hands, there's real, there's real movement, um, there's real spatial awareness, good communication, you're working up and down, it's a short period, of different fitness, and that helps you with rugby, communication, ball playing, making decisions. It's, it's very, very important. It crosses over. And in cricket, it's a slower game, but that decision-making and setting fields, there's a strategy there. 
Um, there's a real technique um, and there's the ability to stay patient. I think that's a real good thing you learn from playing cricket is it's not over. Like it's, you, you're just one or two quick wickets away from, you know, really potentially running through a team. So you've got you to gotta hang in there, you've got to stay in the fight. So I think that really helps you across all the sports. And then it comes a point you have to choose. Mine came probably that under-19s where Shane's talking about, all we know it's the under-19s, Carnival as a batsman hoping to make runs. I've played senior cricket with ACT for a number of years and I played against the Australian Institute of Sport against the likes of Shano, the likes of um, Andrew Gil- Adam Gilchrist, not Andrew, the, Adam Gilchrist, the cricketer, and then um, <laughs> Stuart McGill, et cetera, et cetera, Martin Love. And we played against like the next generation of cricketers and you saw how good they were. You talk about talent, you talk about hard work, those guys are another level. So I was going to the under-19s hoping I'd I'd be able to get into that that environment. So they would travel around the country and they got themselves ready for the obviously the under nineteens championship and their first class cricket careers, which you, was a really great betting and a great learning environment, which was run by the great Rod Marsh, the late great Rod Marsh, who just played hard but really fair and really quality cricket. And that's how and that's how he he coached. And he knew who I was because we were playing, and he. I saw him, it must have been early in that 19s carnival. He says, mate, George, good luck. You're here to make runs. Good luck with that. He says, if you make runs, I'll be coaching you. He says, so, but you're a batsman. You've got to make runs. It was pretty simple. Like, and I didn't make runs. <laughs> and I I saw him afterwards. He says, oh, that's all right, mate. There's other path. That, that's it. And by the end of that year, which was 92, I played rugby again. I made Australian under-19s rugby. I was playing some grade, a little bit of first grade made the Australian under 20, ACT under 21s. And then by the end of that year, I, was, I got offered an Australian Institute of Sport rugby scholarship. So at the beginning of the year, I was hoping to be cricket. I didn't make runs um, and was pretty much told um, that. Uh, and then by the end of that year, I had a rugby scholarship. And then the following year, which is 92, 93, I was playing again, still playing cricket. I was still playing cricket. Even at that point when I got the scholarship, I was playing again, played against uh, the AIS team. And I remember Rod Marsh saying, mate, what are you doing playing cricket still? You got the scholarship? He says, it's not with cricket. He says, you got with rugby. He says, focus on that. He says, I'd love to have coached you. He says, but you've got that ahead with your rugby and I'm hearing good things from rugby. And I said, and that, that was a real pivotal moment for me. I really do remember that like yesterday. And that was when I said, okay, I'm going to lock in 100%. And I remember David Clark from the AIS, who's running the AIS rugby program, probably had a word to Rod Marsh about like just, you know, Get George just have to focus on his rugby. Just, yeah. yeah, and he did. And he was straight up, which I think is really good coaching. And you heard that when he passed. Like, he was just, he was a really straight up caring. Yeah, he was, he was amazing, amazing. I would love to have been coached by Rod Marsh, to be fair. But, like, I was, as I said, I didn't make enough runs. But I'm not regretting playing rugby. But it was a really very important part of my life then. And then that's when he just went all in with rugby. And I was living in Canberra. I was going to University of Canberra, which is across from the AIS. So just, it was, it was a, yeah, you have those moments in your life, you know, and that was definitely one for me at a young age. And, and Rod Marsh, I, I, I'd met Rod. I wasn't a cricketer. I worked as a strength and conditioning coach. So my background as a runner found myself in ball sports. George, I was the last picked, but if I got the ball, I'd score, right? But uh, when I worked with you know, a number of mutual friends of yours and mine in cricket and rugby league and other sports, in cricket, I got to meet Rod and everyone speaks so beautifully about him and he was honest and open so he never danced around it so really interesting hearing you've said that I've heard that multiple times of other athletes tough love sometimes or an honest conversation but it's given them the feedback they needed there and then yeah oh very much so and the funny thing about that is you fast forward I don't know it was like a Sporting Australia Hall of Fame dinner not dropping that but I was there with Gilly 
like all the people you played, all the cricketers having beers with punter and everything, and then he turns up. I think Pat Howard had just come over as high performance. We're chatting a bit about that, and um, he's just saying, Do you remember that conversation we had? He says, was that a bad decision? He says, worked out all right, didn't it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> 138 <laughs> we had a laugh. We had a, test later. We had a couple of beers. We had a couple of beers, and we just had a laugh and a reminiscing about this and that. And, yeah, he was um, – yeah, that, that, that was Rob Marsh, and pretty much everyone in that room – who was part of cricket at that Hall of Fame dinner? He'd he'd had an he'd had an impact. He'd coached them, and um, they just he was like a big father. Everyone just had a big hug. He was just he was he was the centre of attention. Everyone was around him, just wanting to hear the stories and this and that. It was just amazing. He was an amazing man. Mm. Well, I want to finish this Shane Lee quote as well because after he had a bit of a crack at you about Viv Richards, he said, "But mate, seriously, you can imagine Shane o saying that, mate." George is a technical genius, great leader and a deep thinker. Also one of the nicest blokes you'll ever meet. He gives as much as he gets. You can quote me on that. <laughs> oh, he's brilliant, Shano. No, we played lots of junior cricket and school cricket against each other. So we go way back. We're still great mates and, and doing lots together. His daughters are, I think they're, they're going to that next stage of life where they're at, um, I think, uh, in Kirribilli, Loretto. So seen him quite a bit when I was, I was staying there the last few years and um, we've done a lot together. And uh, he's um, a yeah, good mate, a really good mate, and could play. Wow, he's a guy who could bowl, get seven wickets, and go out and they have a quick, they have a, a quick middle order collapse, and he'd come in at number seven and make a hundred. Like I just watched, the, I don't know how many times I saw him do that throughout my my junior career, and uh, and, throw. and sort of obviously for my yeah, like with a just, mitt just in throwing training. And I remember Paddy Fahart, the physio, saying, "Like get out of here, you're going to lose your teeth." So Paddy gave me some lessons, yeah. and Shane's rev- like ball going both ways, ridiculous speed. So not dissimilar to you, could have picked up multiple sports. Yeah, and he bowled a hard ball. Like I played, faced him very quick. I never faced anyone who hit my bat harder than Shane. Like he really, like it was like just this, he had this big shoulder. He's a big, strong, he still is a big, strong guy, but gosh, he used to hit the bat. Like when it went past your nose, which went past my nose quite a bit, it was, it wasn't, wasn't dying. It was, it had a bit of venom behind it. it had that big right shoulder of Shane Lee behind it, but no, it's good times. And uh, no, that sport, isn't it? You, often some of your biggest competitors that you played against become some of your great mates. Yeah, very true. Well, someone else I did some research on for you is a guy named Nick Collishaw. Nick mentioned two mm. things. One was he said George has almost zero body fat. Ask him about when he fell out of a kayak in Barrington River and he literally <laughs> sank to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, we did some Barrington tops. That was for a great birthday present. And uh, we went uh, for a couple of days, camped there, a uh, nice Italian couple who just incredible food. So you, you, you earned this incredible food, but you were going down Barrington tops, which is a beautiful part of the world. But, yeah, I tipped over a few times and uh, I, I needed, I definitely needed my life vest, that's for sure. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a rock when it comes to being in water. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm oil on water when it comes to swimming. But I love, I love being around it, being surrounded by it. But uh, no, that was a fun, fun time. And uh, yeah, like Nick and his wife and Megan Bryant, we've known each other for a very long time. We're obviously in, in business together as well with our cafes. So, you know, we've got s- some special memories and, and they were, yeah, they've travelled around the world and seen some rugby. Our kids are all, uh, well, the kids, our kids, they're not kids anymore. Our, our children are all grown up to be young adults and they're all similar age. So a lot of shared experience there with Nick, a really good man. Yeah, he's a very good man. The other thing Georgie said to ask is about your origin of expensive whiskey taste playing for Suntory in Japan. Uh, and to build yes. on that, I'd like to also know, what, what did living in Japan for three years teach you or how did that change you? Yeah, well, Japan, I think travelling 
and playing at the end of my career, obviously the family, it was great. Like we had a, a year in France at the end of the 2007 World Cup. Unexpected, wasn't planned. They approached us early that year, Toulon. They were in second division. I think Tim Lane was head coach at the time and he'd been the backs coach, assistant coach in the 99 World Cup when we won. And and he spoke to me and just put planted the seed about, hey, why don't you just extend your Rugby World Cup and play a season in Toulon. Um, we're looking to try and get promoted. We're looking to assemble a really good team. We've got a good team now, but a few missing parts. Those missing parts were pretty good. You had Victor Matfield, you had Anton Oliver, uh, Andrew Mertens, myself, Irini Ie, Tussi Pissy. Um, you good know, name, isn't it? it Tussi Pissy. Was, was yeah, like, and he was like a some player. He's one well, no, I think he's potentially the most capped Samoan now. And yeah, we had a, just a great year in 2007, 2008. The kids went into a French school in a place called La Prade. They, they literally learnt, they, they, it was just in French. Our oldest, Max, was with, uh, went, went in the same class as Charlie, so he was with his sister because everything was being thrown in French. And the, it's sink or swim, it's amazing how, how it was really, really difficult early, but then they, they pick up the French, they pick up how to play. Like, it's funny what they learned from playing in interaction and playing marbles, whatever it was. And they went from not enjoying it for the first week and then, you know, a couple of weeks into it and they've got their friends around. And it makes you realise it doesn't matter. We're all, we're all human. It's a different language, but it's the same thing. They like to play. They like to eat and they cook food for them. So you don't have to worry about it as a parent. Oh, what are we doing for, like, morning tea, lunch, this, this? You might give them a bit of fruit, but everything else was taken care of by the school. And very French, they'd line up and then you could smell the food that they'd be having for lunch. And it was pretty amazing. So they became foodies by with that year's experience. And then, yeah, and the youngest, Jazz, she went very, very early. And it was almost before, like, we have preschool and childcare. Like, it's even before that, but it's almost like a mini school and they have sleep. So that was a really good experience playing in small stadiums, traveling around the south of France particularly. Only a couple of games up around Paris. Yeah, it was racing, racing Metro in second division. So we played them up there, but everyone else was south of France really. And the team La Rochelle, who won the championship this year, that Ronan O'Gara coached. Great Ronan O'Gara, good mate from Ireland, who's done a great job. Um, They were second division. So we just traveled around the south of France and played some great rugby. It's not and some not so great rugby, but we got we, we called ourselves the promoters. We got them up, and we just had a time living in a different culture, speaking a different language. Do you still speak French now? Do you still understand? French? A little bit. No, I can understand a little bit, not not a lot, but I can I can get by uh, with a bit of pidgin French, particularly down south, which is different to being in 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 Paris. And then you take that, and it's not that that dissimilar. Like there's the French, obviously speaking French and everything, but you know. You got your big supermarket, supermarket chains, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and they're just different names. It's the same stuff, and then you, you work your way around, and you're on the other side of the road. But it, it was really good. It was really good to embrace. And then Japan. So I've, I've probably answered this in a long way. Three years in Japan, when I was finishing up that season, they wanted me to maybe play another year. But then Santori came to me through Eddie Jones. Eddie out of the blue came to me. He was coaching Saracens at the time and said, "Mate." Santori really keen for you to go over there. And he said three years. I nearly choked on my croissant and my coffee. <laughs> I said three years. I said, Are you serious? I was like I was going into my thirty I was thirty five then. I was going into my thirty fifth year. I said, mate, I said, Do you want, they want obviously they want me to be sort of like a player coach. So no, this is no no, it's to play. He says the coaching's there, I'll be there as director, I'll come in from my from time to time. He says, You've got key me, he says they want you to play. And obviously you'll do coaching regardless of that. He says it's to play. 
I said, well, we'll have to look at it year by year. So just because that was a long year in 2007. So finished up in Toulon. We got them promoted, which was fantastic. It was a really awesome experience. Then went to Japan and that is totally different. Like it's, I was there in 2019 and they've really embraced hosting international tournaments such as that. Then it was the Olympics. So they were speaking in English, encouraging the like taxi drivers to speak English. You go back 10 years ago, prior to that, it wasn't the case. So you just had to learn. And it was really, really good. And I've been there with the Brumbies in 96 and we went there in 98 and loved it, like Tokyo and other parts of Japan. They're very respectful, food's incredible, very, very safe, but that language barrier and this like understanding and how is, to get around, it's, it's different, single swim. I've been to Japan a few it's times. It's totally not, different. Not in the last 10 years, so it'd be interesting to go back. But it is, you, you know you're in a foreign country, so you're with the, the kanji, hiragana, katakana, the different languages. So it's not written in English, it's all the different Japanese symbols. Mm. But you could go, I remember going to Shiga Kogan near the ski fields where they had the Nagano Olympics. No one spoke English, so you'd have to pick up some of the... Watashiwa Andrew Des and I ended up ordering a cat rather than a bread roll. Um, <laughs> but it's a it's a real cultural experience, isn't it? Living there, so I can imagine yeah. for three years you would have really got into that culture and embraced it, learned a lot. It was, and the players, the way we communicated, really was just half half. It was half English, half Japanese. Like one side of the field, right to left might be English, left to right we might doing it in Japanese. Centre field scrums, line outs be a, a hybrid of uh, English and Japanese. But the players all understand English really, really well. Like, oh, George said English, okay, English, okay. But like, you'd actually be wanting to talk to them in Japanese. And we we did, well, all the foreign players, it's probably six in your squad, would have and various, various levels of um, experience in terms of where they were with their Japanese lessons. So you do Japanese lessons once or twice a week, really good. And, and that really, particularly after the first year, just went like that from year two, year three. Got on great with my teammates. The Japanese boys are just, they work so hard, super respectful. Obviously, I was the oldest player in the squad, so I'm very much sung. So they're kind of yeah. over the top, yeah. And I'm saying, guys, let's let's speak in Japanese. So you'd always finish with a meal at the end of training. So they do it really well, Suntory at the clubhouse. And they're, they're very, very professional. So the piece for us was like, okay, if we sit down for a meal, there's no technology. That's ba- even back then, no technology. They, they'd have it even today in the meal room. And it was, we sit down, we eat together. And I said, well, guys, we eat together. We speak in Japanese. Don't, I want, they don't want you speaking to me in, in, uh, in, in English. So that was my way of just picking up and then she hearing it. And then you go to your lessons and you're picking up. I've heard this when I'm talking to the guys. And then, yeah, it was, it was a great immersive and really, um, enjoyable experience and obviously again the family they weren't they weren't there full time because we put them back in the Australian system they came over for the holidays and and and, and the summer uh, and the Christmas Christmas break which is a good chunk and they had a wonderful time absolutely fell in love with it and picked up a little bit themselves just by walking around and being really respectful and just seeing I think one one of the other learnings here's a small thing but it's a big thing the kids really really young they're just going to this, like year one year two they're going to school they're almost as big as their backpacks they carry their backpacks to the train station and you might you might say say goodbye to them at the train station but you can't drop them off there's no carpooling in japan they get on the train they go there they're like the little sort of <laughs> it's like it's like drop off out of uh, was it finding nemo and they just they become really really independent and it's a really it's a beautiful thing to see i remember show, it was wasn't lost on our kids i think they're all three of them are very independent can do their their own thing and get around 
And I think that had a big impact on the, their ability to do that and the confidence to do that, what it does for a person. So, no, and it's very safe. Like, I know people say, oh, that's because it's Japan. So, yeah, it's very safe. But culturally, yeah, it was, it was really good lessons to learn. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that that respect piece and, and the work ethic um, and, and just the environment that you're in, you just you feel really, really at, at ease and at peace when you're in Japan. And it's, it goes from being a mega city in Tokyo then to being very, very spiritual and calm. If you're going to, you know, an hour and a half, you're in the woods on a Shinkansen and you're just in an onsen and they just really attach to that. It means a lot to them. So, no, love Japan, love going back and I, I think it'll, be, it'll always continue to be a big part of my life. I think we might have to reach out to Graham Turner and get this segment of this podcast sponsored by Flight Center. You've taken us on a degustation and intellectual <laughs> education experience <laughs> around the world from uh, France, yeah. Japan. You're currently in the UK at the moment. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I want to just back up a little bit. You mentioned a guy's name who I'd like to ask you a question about on two levels, Eddie Jones. First of all, as a person, second, as a leader, as a person, the reason I want to know that, uh, I've got a, a friend of mine who does mental skills in the UK. I don't know if you've ever, ever met Jeremy Snape. Jeremy worked with Eddie for a number no. of years and worked in cricket. He mentioned that Eddie is just huge on empathy and looking at the whole person. Mm. So I really wanted to pull on that thread. So your take on yeah. Eddie, first of all, as a person and second, as a leader. Oh, Eddie Kurt really, really cares. Like he was in the crowd the other day. I'm not sure if you watched the South Africa um all Black game at Ellis Park. He was in the crowd. He was watching the game and then he, he contacted me. Like, he, and I said, well, last time I saw you, you were in the crowd on the weekend. And he said, oh, no, I'm back, back. Like, how you doing? Let's try and catch up for a coffee. He's that kind of person. He's He always will reach out. He finds out about you. He was in Australia for like three weeks prior and he's always looking to learn. He would have probably gone to Melbourne Storm and others just to see what's happening, what's the new trend. Um, so he's always wanting to get better and he's always so if he's looking to get that improvement and learn from the best and, and see what what's being done which potentially could be added into his program to make his coaches and his playing group better he lives it and he laughs out of the person but he'd be really caring and he understands i remember a story about courtney laws during courtney law spoke about it actually when lockdown really occurred and i think courtney laws got three under maybe three at that stage and Eddie was just making sure that he was okay. How's it all going with the kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just fit your training in when you can, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Make sure you're doing those things. He says, "We've got your measurements. We know you've got a really good, a good library of hard work behind you. So don't be stressing if you can't. Like like everyone else, you're not behind. We, we can we can measure that. Just send in send in the information, the data, because they're all getting measured and whatever it was. So he he just he just tunes into it, and it might be different for say if it's a Ben Youngs or a younger player, but he really does care about the whole person." And you talk about, it's interesting you used Rob Marsh as an example, and then there's a bit of tough love, like where well, there's that hard, like really, no, it's honest feedback. He's very good at that too. And I think he's, he, he's, he's spoken about it himself. He's mellowed a lot in terms of that. And I think as a player, and no difference to his view, coach, over time, there's things you just evolve and get better at and you understand and you've just got an experience library to pull, pull back on and maybe that didn't work, maybe he's an environment and that's where he's at at the moment and he really does care for the players and and with all the stuff that's been thrown here because they're brutal here, the UK press, Australia's pretty bad too but they're pretty brutal here in the UK. If if everything was as bad and the world, the world was falling apart within that English rugby team, you don't come back from 1-0 down and fight hard after the Perth loss and do what they did and win the series. Like it's, I've been in teams where they, that just doesn't happen. There's a real togetherness which um, you can see coming through. That's the sort of person he is and he definitely, there's that empathy piece 100%, which doesn't get spoken about a lot. People like recycling old stuff, it's quite easy. It's, it's a, 
oh, it is this and it is that, and you get a couple of sound bites from people. You go, well, maybe he was a bit of that at that stage, but at the same time, he's very caring of people then, which no one talks about. And uh, I think that's just, it's, it's easy to do. It's very easy to portray someone in a certain way. But once you know the person, he's with you all the time. That's the thing. He's reaching out and seeing how you're going, this, that, how's the family, that kind of thing. He really does care. And also, hey, what, what, have you, what are you seeing? He wants to learn. So that, that, that whole piece of, like every day's a learning day, he's a classic example of that. How, how and, old um, would Eddie be now? I turned 50 when I was in Japan, so that's 2011. So Early 60s. And he'd be, yeah, just would have just turned 60 maybe last year. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. And on the outside looking at, at him, it just it's so obvious that constant learning not going, oh, like you, you, you study exercise science or physical education. A lot of people, I think, do a trade, do a degree, and they go, right, that's it. I'm a mechanic. I'm a lawyer. I'm a plumber. Mm. But that lifelong learning, I love that. How do you yeah, teach that? Important. Or how would you – you're a father of three kids. I've got four. I go to work for a break, George. You'd understand that. Yeah. Yes. How, how have you tried to instill this in your kids, that – that love or that quest for learning and knowledge and experience? I think probably, I think the old sitting around the table and having a good discussion around stuff and, and approaching it and debating it. It's, I, I love that like scenario. I haven't done that for a while, but it's, it's a beautiful thing because it encourages people to look at things from a different perspective, even more so now everyone can be quite judgmental. You're either this or you're that. And you go, well, maybe there's somewhere in between. And, or, or if it's this, have you looked at that? And let's talk about it. Uh, and I think that's really, really important because that gets you thinking in a different way. And, you know, I think that's really important. I've learned that through through other ex- experiences in life, but I think sport's been a really good teacher of that for me. I'll give an example of that. Like we, we played totally differently to how everyone else played at the end of 99, going to 2000, using the Brumbies and, and, you could, and that'll flow into the Wallabies. No one else was playing this way. And because everyone said, oh, this is how you gotta play. And we said, well, no, we're gonna play differently. And we're going to ball keep. We're going to do this. We're going to have people. We're just we're going to have people really focused on turning up to different pieces, parts of the field, understanding maybe two, three plays ahead. But if something happens on the first play, we'll react to it. But we will do things differently. No one's playing like this. We, we sort of worked. We, we made the change in 1999 because everyone else was doing it a different way. And then we got great, great rewards by the end of that year. We just missed out on making the finals. And then it pretty much was like a four year run where that hard work of doing things differently allowed you to have success and then you have to change again. Like then there's everyone catch, oh, what are they doing? And it's almost a chance to say, well, we need to go in another direction. We need to add something else. So it's that whole piece of, okay, by going, thinking about something differently and doing things differently, there's a really good opportunity to learn, to potentially create something that no one else has created. And that's a nice piece. So that's a creative piece, but it's also to get there you actually have to challenge your way of thinking. And I think that's really, really important. I think um, you don't always have to follow and, and believe what everyone else is doing is the right way. And I think that's really, really critical. I think that's that challenging mindset and that challenging way of, and you do it respectfully, not like just, and you just think, oh, let's, let's look at things a bit differently. Why not? Can you think of an example where you've done that recently, either in your business life? And we'll talk about PTP in a moment. Yeah, or personal bis- relationships? business life. No, business life is quite easy. Like for us, like I'm saying this now, not being arrogant, but it's, we had one product, which when I first set up with PTP, which was PowerTube Pro then, but we changed it to PTP because we weren't just tubing. It was a gym in a bag. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, we've been using this stuff. Like it's new to mainstream society, but 
in the, in the environment that I've been in, in high performance elite elite teams, we've been using tubing and resistance bands for a decade. And that was assisting and, and, and adding variation to our training program and, and giving us some really good benefits. And it's also portable, it's easy. So everything that we'd, we'd been doing with those bands, we were very easily able to add into our education of our customer at an elite level, really it was. But it's, it's, a, it's a library of exercises which everyone can do, but no one was really educated on why. And so it could be from shoulder integrity to hip conditioning to ankle mobility to, to bridge. You could just do a whole range of stuff head to toe. Hence, it's called total body conditioning. And then, but once you've done all the training, one of the big things, and it was probably my AS experience, you train hard, you recover harder. So let's, let's get into the rough. Let's educate them on that training loop. So the recovery, what's the benefits of recovery? And recovery is not just jumping in ice bins. Recovery is just not warming down, um, having a stretch. It's a whole range of things. It, it is. It's mobility. It's it's rolling out. It, it's it's it is it is that flexibility work. It is if you can jump in the ocean, do that. But not everyone has the ability to do that. But with our product range, we can definitely do some of that myofascial release. We can do flexibility. We can get mobility going in there. We can get people feeling better. So every time that they go to train, they can make those incremental improvements rather than go backwards. So that education piece. So it was well. No one's doing it. There's, there's brands doing one piece of it, but no one's doing it as a total. And so You've done that a was, stack that of was videos, the opportunity like, for us. Like the PTP mm. website, you must have done hundreds of videos. Yeah, we did a lot. We did a lot. That was early doors, but that's what you do. Like you start up and there's an opportunity and, and like, let's let's go after this and let's, that education piece and, you know, we're, we're 12 years into it now and it's, you know, that's what people really resonate with our branding is how, you spoke about the empathy of, of Eddie, but the, the empathy of us in terms of us supporting and caring for our customers is really, really important because we want to take you on that training journey. Um, and whatever physical movement that you choose, we'll be there and we'll educate you on how to do it. And it, it's not just a slogan, it's true. It's smarter movements. We're going to educate you really, really well so you have good technique and, you'll, and you just get improvement and you'll be better. And um, you spoke about the beginning of this conversation about talent and everything. Yeah, there's talent, but there's technique. And there's, there's, there's good fundamentals. So we're going to teach you good fundamentals. We'll teach you good technique. You, you, you put the reps in and you will get better. Like you just will get better. Like you, you, all of a sudden your, your lower back pain will go because all of a sudden you're activating your glutes. You'll, you won't have the rounded shoulder or the technique like we're having at the moment. We should get our shoulders back, Andrew. We've been sitting for a while, but all that kind of stuff. Sitting up the that back part of your train. Yeah. And then all those things and you, you'll feel better and you go, oh, wow, gosh, my lower back pain's gone. Oh, all of a sudden my shoulder mobility is better. Okay. All these things, oh, my, my left and right hand, my hammies, wow, I'm actually, they, they've turned on and all, all these little things where I think you hear and we get a lot of this feedback from our customers about that. And it's not always about just like in terms of body mass and body shape in terms of getting results. It's those other little things too. And uh, I think that's that's always uh, a big part of our DNA and will continue to be. An obvious question, too obvious, would be to say, George, you played 139 rugby tests, you played years for you know, franchises around the world. What did you learn from sport that you applied to business? I'm not going to ask you that. Just out of interest, how many times do yeah. you reckon you've been asked that question? Yeah, yeah, a lot. A lot of and, and you probably but... press play and go, dun, dun, dun. Uh, it's not so much play, but to me, I reckon, yeah, you asked ask me another question, but communication, I think one of the best things I've learned through everything, and I think when being involved in business, it's communica- communication, communication, communication. As soon as you you, you don't communicate um, at a really consistent and, and, and high level, it just becomes that it becomes it comes blind spots and grey areas and people start overthinking on stuff or underthinking on stuff because it's not important 
and being really and you can over and then there's how do you communicate the efficient communication becomes really really important cut to the chase like let's get stuff done let's not having meetings for the sake of meetings remember that in team sports like there's no point just filling your diary with it like it's got to be meaningful there's got to be something which you can take away from it let's action it and then when we come together again let's hopefully move forward otherwise it's you, you, people get stale that's, that's the that's, best that's answer really, really to a question i didn't want to ask so what did you have to unlearn when you went from professional sport because a lot of athletes and and also let's just take it out of athletes because listeners to this podcast want to improve themselves so strive stronger from the french word astrave old french word to push through challenging times and come out the other side and to be stronger physically psychologically emotionally financially in every part but Often a high performer in one domain, George, we do, we get blind spots, as you said, and it, it becomes on auto repeat. And then people sometimes go to another area and just think they're going to repeat that and they haven't unlearned, upskilled. So what did you have to unlearn when you went from professional rugby to running a business? Yeah, I think you have to unlearn that not everyone's, the people around you aren't at that high like that you probably you're at the you're in the highest performing <laughs> environment with the people around you and they're they're, they're like-minded uh, and they're 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 at, at a certain level hence you you're representing like international teams or whatever it's but and so that there's there's that level of day-to-day preparation expectant expectancy of performance and that's not the case when you you go into your life outside of sport. I think that's definitely been the case. People want to learn. People want to get better. There's no doubting that. But often people haven't actually got a, a library or a, a good depth of um, experience in terms of dealing with, I think, particularly tough times. Uh, that's probably what I found. Like there's stuff which is you just pull it back. It's not as complicated, and and, and it's actually in many ways the unlearning is okay. I've still got to have a routine. I've got to have things which, are, which, as you said, you get into a bit of a routine, isn't it? Because everything's done for you. You know, you get your passport at the at the at the, <laughs> at the airport. The bus is there to pick you up. You have to unlearn all that kind of stuff because you got to do that stuff yourself. That wasn't that. That wasn't too hard to do. But within the actual working environment, is not having an expectancy that someone's going to be like a world champion in in your team, and and and, and bring that down. Bring your expectancy of that down but understand that they want to improve. But at the same time, you're, you, you are no longer where you were. You, you are no longer a world champion athlete or a world, uh, a high-class professional athlete in this environment. No, you're not. You need to learn the business. So you need to, you need to actually take yourself back and say, well, what can I learn from these people? So it works both ways. So you've got to, you've got to unlearn. The, to me, that was probably the big piece was unlearning what my expectancy of was the people around me, which you had a high level of that when you're in a high performing team, but also understand you're going to a new environment and what can I do to, to help and assist that team. So that, that's a nice quality. And as I always say, I'm very coachable. I think, I think most athletes, that's one thing. And I, I do like, I haven't done a lot, but when we have um, had a, a level of um, athlete involved in our business or, or they like sport, they, they really want to learn. And they're very coachable. And I think that's really, really important. So you need to embrace that. So there's an unlearning, but there's also actually applying that attitude to your next venture. I love that you've used the word coachable because 
I do a lot of work in the corporate world and try and apply lessons, try it, because you can't always say this is what we do in elite sport, this is what you do in the corporate world. But one of the things that you can really adapt is coaching and talent development, a lot of those beautiful threads through your conversation today. But I like that you said coachable, because so often we go, oh, we need to train people to be better coaches. But I think in sport, especially in team sport, right, because rugby, you've got 15 on the park plus your supporting squad. So you need a bunch of men and women who are coachable and have great coaches. Do you want to talk to me about the difference between the two, between coaching and coachability? The, the complexity is actually getting what you want in terms of your messaging down to a couple of key points. So it really does resonate with the, with the athlete or the person you're coaching. And they can actually go back to those things under pressure now for me like a good one was passing if i threw a poor pass it was like actually you know be loaded build the triangle george this is scotty wiseman who's looking after the wallabies just really good key coaching points which mean a lot so you build a triangle you do this that that you're gonna be able to pass short pass long there's a whole range of things which come from that but just build a triangle and you go okay great that's that's a great thing it's a it's a great thing to go back to it's a good cue and, and it's one which is just a nice trigger for really good habits and that's what a good coach can do. So I'm using, so Scotty, if you listen to this, well done. I've still, I still actually plagiarised a bit of that when I've coached some nines as well over the time and tens about just being loaded so they can, you can always be running, you can pass short, you can kick, all that kind of thing. That's great so that's coaching, a good example great of a really message, good, isn't it? That you've used mm, this years down the track and you're adapting it. Yeah. And then I think the, the coachability is, is being able to take that on. Like, okay, I'm coming here, I'm open. How can I pass better? So, being coachable, so I'd like to pass, but I'd like it to be more consistent. I want to have the ability to, to look as though if the opposition is coming, they can't predict if I'm going to pass short or long. How do I do that? What do you think we could do to work on that? And he says, well, let's go through this. And then we look at some tape. We go through here and we look at this. Okay, look at when you pass long, look at when you pass short. Look what's consistent when you pass long. Look what's consistent when you pass short. But could you do this from that position? Could you pass short? Yes, you could. You can pass long. Yes, you could. Well, let's get to that position. And then all of a sudden you're going, okay, well, we can do that. And then we get to the build the triangle scenario. And then, okay, got it. That enables me to do all those things. And as a ball player, you want to be able to provide the messaging to the opposition that you can pass short, you can pass long, but I could also run. And if I needed to, I could kick. You can't really see from here, can you, what I'm going to do? So that's a really nice – that, I think that's a good example of being coachable and a really good piece of coaching. If I can get a bit uh, meta on you, getting into coaching psychology – as you were saying that, two things that were running parallel for me, one was you've got the right person to give you the information, the coach, but you were wanting to be coached. So you didn't have these arrogance, Scott. How many thousands, tens of thousands of cutout passes have you done over the years? But you weren't yeah, there saying, I, I know how to do that. You were saying, how do I get better? And it, it's such a small thing, right? for passing, but then such intricacies, my basic understanding of it, you know, for the way you roll your wrist, underhand, there's so many little variances that can make a huge difference. So I love that even after decades of playing, you were still saying, how can I get better? Yeah, totally. I think as soon as you stop thinking that, it's time for give, giving it away. Because then you start talking about, well, back in my day, I used to do this and I used to do that. Well, you didn't want to get better. Every year, particularly in our game, I think in all sports, every year that the game changes. There's something which you need to adapt to. So there's adjustments you need to make. Like um, for me, remember early days, like kicked a lot of really, Dave Allred who kicked with the English rugby team, a great kicking coach. Did a lot of work with Johnny Wilkinson and the English team, but he came over. Bob Dwyer, who's really ahead of his time in terms of that sport science and, and skill acquisition coaching. 
um, got him over to help us with our kicking. And he'd been a former NFL, played a bit of rugby, and he came over and, sh- and showed us how to do the torp and box kicking. He was a very good Dave Orr. Um, he's now doing putting coaching on the PGA Tour. Well, maybe I think he's still on the PGA From Tour. Kicking to putting. Wow. Yeah, but it's all target. He talks about target, and we had a few coaching points, and his was like on the shelf through the gate, hard foot, like eye on top of your head. I still remember it all. Really good coaching stuff for a box kit. And just thinking, okay, uh, two on one and all that sort of stuff. And I, I would bump into him because we're playing in single. I said, "Mate, hard foot on the shelf through the gate." Oh, it's changed a little bit, George. We just made some adjustments. He just and then I remember speaking to Matt Dorsey. He says, "No, it hasn't, Georgie. It's all the same stuff." <laughs> so he was a really good coach. And and again, that's that piece of he's broken that down, that skill into a box kick and other things. Which under pressure, you just go to a couple of really nice things. Like for for me with the passing, it was um, it was build a triangle. Like for a box kick for me, and I didn't box box kicks a lot early through the Dave Orr in the 95s and, 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 and to this day and, and even to, to my last few test matches, I was still using that technique that he provided because it just it gave you a hitting zone. Like it's like golf or anything, you just found you've you got to be consistent and then you could self-correct. I think that's what's good about coaches like um, Scott Wiseman or coaches like um, Dave Orr. They allow you to self-correct. So if you make a mistake, cause it's not always perfect. It never is. You don't always put – no one throws even – Aaron Smith throws a lot of beautiful passes. <laughs> like I just got come back to him, the All Black. But if he throws a back, poor one, he'll bounce back. His next one's not because he's made a self correction. He understands his game so well and his technique so well. He can make the adjustment, and that's what good coaching does as well. And so you go back to that under pressure. You'll just go back to okay, undercut it. I just get it the foot position, hard foot. Boom, it'll take care of itself. And that's what you want. That's Be- what you beautiful want. Beautiful segue under pressure and linking that. You've said skills four or five times just then. In elite sport and any elite any elite performance, it's known you can train three things. You can train your craft. So in your case, rugby, decades and decades of experience, lots of great coaches you've mentioned. You can train your body. So you had really good strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, one of my mates is one of your coaches, Jason Weber, for a number of years, Big Jace, amazing strength and conditioning coach. And the third thing you can train on top of your craft and your body is your mind. I'm really curious, what did you do during your career, both at the start, during and at the end, around mental skills? Was it natural, innate, or did you seek a competitive advantage in that area? Now, you had to work at it. I remember one of my first test matches, not senior test matches, was it, I think it was Aussie 21s, and we just got too emotional. We are playing England. We ended up getting beaten by them. It was the only game they won on tour, and it was a test match, Aussie 21s versus England 21s, and that had Lawrence Delalio. It's funny, all the players that you sort of bump into later in your life. So Lawrence had Richard Hill. I think Austin Healy was on the bench there. I think Kieran Bracken flew over for this game. They had a good team. I'm trying to think who else. Anyway, that, a lot of those players went on to play. and Probably a number of them played in that 2003 World Cup winning team. So it's funny how like 1993, you fast forward 10 years, and then there's a lot of the similar players are playing against each other. But I remember before we went out, we sang the national anthem, which is a silly thing to do, and everyone's quite, quite emotional and almost like teary. I was one of those guys. Then you go out, then you run out on the field, and then you 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 sing the national anthem again. So everyone's probably just emotionally just too aroused. We've just we've gone over the tipping point, and then like the English guys, just they beat us that day, beat us well, and it was like well, what happened. Then the following week. We go over, it was meant to be the sort of the, the, the preliminary, the, the big one we were really working on was the New Zealand Colts. That's New Zealand under 21. So that the Justin Marshalls, your Tane Randalls, et cetera. And we played them and I didn't, so I started in that game. I didn't play the next week. Um, I sat on the bench and 
watched us just dismantle the New Zealand under-21s with a bloody good team. I think, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the players, like Tyron Mandrusiak, the captain was Dave Kelleher. Anyway, some really good players were in that under-21s team. Uh, we had a really good team on paper. We should have beaten that England team on paper, but we didn't, because, and that was my, my big takeaway. We went away the next week, played under-21s as a, as before a test match at Eden Park, not an easy place to win, and we smoked their under-21s. We beat them really, really well. And there was no singing of the national anthems beforehand. It was really calm. It was really focused. We went in there and everyone was really like at that. Yeah, you talk about that, that, that right arousal level, ready, ready to play and played like how we should have played the week before. And it was a real lesson because, okay, we're all a little bit too amped up the week before. So that mental piece is really important in terms of your preparation. But just before you go on to perform, just getting yourself in that sweet spot. So you worked on that. And obviously I was at the AIS, so I was was able to – you had sports psychologists, you know, able to talk through that. So let's go through that. And it comes back to preparation. And sports psychology, a really good sports psychologist, they bring it back to basically giving you a security blanket of here's your routine understand these things about yourself and when you perform your best and then you work back and try to replicate that. So I loved as part of my training routine was during the week was obviously having a flotation tank. Like you can't always get a flotation tank, but that was a beauty of being at the AS. And that just was a, a great area just to calm down, recover, but you could also do a bit of mental rehearsal. But also for me, it was a great way of doing your breathing, which is all, all, all in, it's very, very in fashion now, which is great. But it looks about the centering technique, which is just to calm yourself down, the breathing into your diaphragm, all that kind of thing. <sighs> Take it easy. And then bang, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> I'd do about 10 of those breaths and I'm asleep. But it's really, really important. So I knew how to bring myself down very, very quickly. I wasn't always in a float tank. But then you talk about people like Eddie Jones and we had a guy called, um, who was, did a lot of work with the Wallabies and also the Brumbies at that time. It'll come to oh, me. Not Phil, and we. No, uh, uh, was it AIS? Uh, Clark Perry? Yeah, Clark. It was Clark. So Clark would. He found out that when we went to Cape Town, there's a place. He said, You know what, George? There's a, I found out there's a flotation tank in Cape Town. It's about 20 minutes out of where we stay on your day off, which is my routine in, in the Canberra. You, you can do that. You can replicate your routine. So I, when I'd go to Cape Town, I could actually float, which is awesome. I'd normally have my recovery day and you do that kind of stuff, but and you do it in a different way to try and replicate that. But when I had a float, like it was amazing. So Cape Town all of a sudden became this great situation whereby I could maintain my routine. But those sorts of things really helped me because it just enabled you to actually, yeah, you can bring yourself up, but you kind of know when you've gone too far. It's just like, okay, bring yourself down. It's a centering technique, all that kind of thing. Focus on what you need to, particularly before a performance. And obviously when I was captain, you actually need to be knowing what are, what are the first few calls to the game? What are we doing here? This boom, boom, boom. You need to be, you need to be on. You don't need to be, you don't need to be all, okay, everyone's different. That was definitely the case for me. I, I needed to be locked and loaded and ready to go because you, you, you're in a position where you're making a lot of decisions and you've got to be really clear and focused on that. And you make adjustments along the way because it doesn't always go to plan. But the first few minutes kind of do um, in terms of it's going to be a kickoff. You're going to either kick off, you're going to be defending, you're going to be kicking off, it's going to be the first line out, what are you going to go to, et cetera, et cetera. You can be prepared that way and, and that enables you to do that. So interesting mm. talking to you. Because a lot of footballers, young footballers that I work with, they, with respect, have no idea on this or they just haven't thought about this. And if you look at your background, playing different sports, getting different skills from Rod Marsh to Shane Lee's story, cricket, the 
endurance, very different playing a five-day test match compared to an 80-minute game of, of a test match rugby, right? But then studying sports science, I can't help but think that was a godsend for you to learn about Yerkes Dodson inverted U hypothesis. Let's get all physiological. That's an X. Yeah, yeah. I'm an exercise physiologist of, by trade. Summation of forces with biomechanics. And that was yeah. like, like you say, as he looked after the uh, All Blacks and did a lot of stuff with the Brumbies. Well, you, you're getting, I'll put it this way. Like I'm not being bi- like a biased alumni, but University of Canberra, it was an amazing experience for me. And it's an amazing university even now. Like I think it's one of the, it's one of the well-regarded and well-known universities in terms of that sports science, skill acquisition, sports coaching. They still get, and I know it was what it was like for me, sort of 91 through to 94 when I was there, you'd get, you'd be getting, you'd be getting, yeah, I mentioned Mark Sayers, you mentioned. Clark Perry is the godfather of Australian sports psychology. He was foundation at the AIS and mentored yeah, many Louise people. Burke. Yeah, you get getting those people. And bond like they're coming in and that they'll be doing the lecturing, the guest lecturing for a period of time. So you're getting the best of the best acquisitions. Look, it was quite amazing. So we're really, really lucky. So again, I talk about that sliding door moment and just being in the right place at the right time. It's definitely the case. And so everything I was learning, I was actually living because I was, you know, at the IES, but I was also breaking into the. Uh, the, the senior ACT team at that stage with the Kookaburras, you're playing under 21s and you're doing a lot of training. You're doing a lot of training, a lot of driving around in the Kings was there, but lots of training. And um, so recovery and everything that you're learning about was, was, was really, it was a really interesting time. I remember doing that the same time as Rod Kafer. So Kafer was doing sports coaching. So we're really into it. And um, no, it, was, it, was, it was a special time because you're learning from the best. Again, you, and you're open and you, you're taking that all in, but you're also applying what you're learning, which I think was really nice. So if a young male or female athlete tracked down George Gregan today and said, George, give us your guidance, big fella. What, what should I learn in relation to mental skills to help me to be the best? What would you say? Yeah, I'd say develop a, develop a routine based on when you have done things well. Like, and, and like I think that's really, really important. That was, I was like speaking to, it was your clerks. I think it was um, Noddy's old man, Dr. Ian Liner. And it was, it was that. He said, let's come back to that. Think about this. Think about that. Okay. The food you ate. And then you're obviously going to get that tailored because you're at the AS about like what what are the benefits of this type of food, what's that going to do for your thinking, rest, okay, sleeping, etc., training, recovery, okay, when you've performed, was it the music you were listening to, was it the the food that you ate, was it the company, did you like to did you like to eat with a group where you like to pro- pro- provide a bit of quiet time to yourself, okay, let's work back to that. And everyone's got to like I think. Every, everyone's got a, an example of when they've, they've had a really good performance. What was it? And then you, you, no one actually probably spends time, and I know I didn't at that time. No one really spends time thinking, well, why did I, what, what made me play well that day? Or what, what led to that good performance or plural performances? What led to that good run of good performances? And you go, okay, well, let's try and as much as we can implement some of those things which make you feel good. Because I think ultimately, and I've had, like as you said, I've had a lot of good S&C coaches and good coaches. I remember Ian King did a lot of great work um, with a number of athletes, Canadian ski team, AAS rugby, the Queensland Reds when they had their running time. He says, well, probably 90% of the mental work's done if you're physically in just great condition. And that's not just physically, like, like in terms of musculation, but also you, you, you're stretched out you're neurally feeling really, really good and you just say, oh, I just want to go out and play now. Like we've been talking, like if, you, if you're if you in that state, 
<laughs> you, there's there's a few little tweaks you can be doing in terms of what I, I need to what I need to be eating, my hydration, etc. But I, I'm actually feeling so good for this competition. I, I want to play. How do you get there? Like that's 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 the piece. Like how do you get there? And that's that's um that's a combination of definitely mental skills, but it's also that conditioning of a really good S and C and working in with your coaches. But that's what you want to try and get to. And so that'd be kind confidence, of confidence, isn't it? My advice. It's and well, and then the buzzword confidence comes out. You're going to be confident. It's, does it guarantee your success in your competition? No, it doesn't. Does it give you a really strong chance of performing at your best in this competition? It certainly does. And you'll live with the consequences of how you perform and how do your skills hold up? How did you deal with situations, etc. But that's that's sport. It's it's not it's not um, it's never perfect. But one thing you can control is how you how you feel and how you go into that competition and give yourself the best chance. I could talk to you about this all day, but I know you're in the UK, I'm in Australia, and you've got a busy day ahead of you. So I, I do want to talk about setbacks, and then I've got the mad minute. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Wizard will start the music and the first word that comes to your mind. But before we do that, setbacks and challenges, it's part of all of our lives. You've had a few. Is there an example, a big challenge you've had that you are comfortable talking about and what did you learn from it? And then I've got one or two we could maybe explore a little bit as well. Yeah, well, I'm not going to really talk about it, but obviously I've gone through a divorce and, and, and that's never easy from a family perspective and and just everything about it. It's just not, it's not ideal because you didn't go into um, that situation expecting that to be the outcome. Um, I've been there as well you, with, two, always a way, yeah. with two kids and, yeah, it is, it's tough, it's really challenging Learned heaps, mm. learned heaps. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 the worst possible thing to go through. But I think when you come out and learn and grow, you can really evolve as a person. But it's tough. I get it. Yeah, it is tough. And like I'm, I, I won't dive into that in this in this podcast. But no, it's that's definitely. But you you find a way to come through that and, and how to how there's always there's always light at the end of the tunnel. It's just getting there as quickly as you can. But it's 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 that piece and bringing everyone along. I think that's probably the piece which I think. Again, give some examples. I think sport just enables enables you to to do that on a on a pretty regular basis. You have to reset. You have to if things are going well, it's great. How do you keep continue that? But when things don't go well, it's obvious. When things are not going really well, like I think a really good setback from good example of that for me was probably I'd say oh, we have a few, but I'd, I'd probably go I'd go back to the nineteen ninety eight season. I was injured. I'd had a season where it was meant to be just an arthroscope at the end of 1997, going to the 1998 season and get, like, I had a bipartite patella, so I was just taking that floaty, sort of like you got two patellas, so that was just sort of niggling and had a spur, so get that rid of it. There's a bit of bit of floating, and there's a lateral tear in my left shoulder. So, okay, let's get that, do both of those together, and um, we'll be sort of back in five weeks. Well, never goes to plan. The shoulder was, was fine, but then the knee got an infection. And then it got a pretty bad infection whereby, like, I remember Dr. David Hughes, who's a great um, Australian Olympic committee doctor, was with the Brumbies and did some stuff with the Wallabies. He's poking. I went into his, his practice and he says, your knee like feels like molten lava. And I played golf on it that afternoon, thinking we were going to play the next day. And I said, just feeling really, really hot. And then he cut it. He, they cut it. I used to go back up to, to Sydney and I went into surgery at Randwick and they cut it. This is like cottage cheese. This infection went through it. Like I couldn't see it. It was like, so it was really bad. So I could have almost, like, it's one of those post-op infections, like five weeks later and it just reared its head. And I, I ended up having to rehab that again. Anyway, I pretty much missed the whole super rugby season. You come back 
and the ability to run and do all those things is you sort of you're relearning like it's frustrating it's like you're learning to and because that leg's not doing what it should be like it's it's depowered so you got to do all that extra work just to get that right the the shoulder was fine but to me that was it was okay and i want to play at the level which I was previously at from 90, sort of five, when I, I hadn't had this injury. This is my first experience. To be fair, this was the only major real injury I'd had when I had surgery in my career. But I remember at that time thinking, well, I'm going to have to work really, really hard to get that to where it was. But you want to get it better. And that's ultimately where it did over time. But that was that was a bit of a setback for me because you, you weren't able to actually operate the way you had previously and 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 that was that was frustrating that was frustrating as anything so you had to put the extra work in then the positive was okay what can i work on i can work on my upper body strength i can work on my skills i can work on developing this 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 okay really dove into analyzing and looking at the game and that to me um, really helped me for the rest of that season broke into the wallabies and by the end of that year i was, I was strapping that knee just to hold it in place, but then put so much work and effort into getting that stronger. Like it, I remember taking the, 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 the t- it seems like a small thing, but I remember taking the strapping off the knee in 98 after one of the tests. And I said, I don't need that strapping anymore. Like my leg is strong. I'm back kind of thing. It's kind of like, it's not the, it's not like a James Brown. I'm back, <laughs> but it's like, I'm ready to go. Like it's, I can play. I don't need that anymore. My body is actually back to where it should be. And, I've overcome it and I'll continue to work really, really hard to make sure that that's never in a situation where it could could fail me again. And that was a big learning for me. And obviously I was always really deliberate, but that 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 really, because I thought I'd just come back in five weeks and I'll be ready to go. And then you have that infection that really atrophied and it was like, wow, okay, I've got to do, and I can't take it for granted. I think that's probably what I learned. So that was probably a really good learning early, early issue in my career. And I didn't get many major injuries after that, which was good because I really did work hard on making sure that I wouldn't put myself in a position where that could be the case. Some things you can't control, how you get tackled or how you twist in the tackle with those things. That was a really good learning in 98 for me. Something that impresses me about you talking to people about you and, and even just today, the way you hold yourself, your composure, you're very balanced. I know you've always been big about identity outside of sport. I don't think you ever would have said, oh, I'm George Gregan. Uh, the rugby player, or you, you know, at the time, context specific, yes, but you've always done other things, sports science and business interest. That has to help when stuff is written about you in the paper, about other, oh, yeah. other people. Because yeah? <laughs> yeah. uh, you probably yeah, know where yeah. I'm going. Recently, or about a year ago, uh, a former business partner hit you with two lawsuits with PTP. And I remember reading that going, oh, that's brutal brutal to, mm. to read that about someone in the paper. So I can only imagine when you read that, even as balanced as you are, that must rock you a little bit. Yeah, well, it does. Like, obviously, when you've played sport, particularly in Australia or the UK, you get the ups and downs of a success, failure, and there's never the middle ground. You're either, you're either something, you're either... Like you're either the wonderful wallabies or you're the woeful wallabies. You, you, you're never in between. <laughs> like you kind of you're one or the other, and so you kind of you, there's always a middle ground. So there's always you talk about balance. There's always that middle ground. You're never as good as what you think you are. You're never as bad as what everyone's saying you are. There, there is somewhere in between, and so with what happened with our dispute with our shareholder, like our, our business partner, that was just what you kind of used to. That, that, that there's a certain level of reporting, and there's a certain amount of information which was just 
turned around and used in a way which was it wasn't in balance and there was nothing on the other side and so you just you just got to roll with it the facts were the facts and enough of the facts came out hence he's no longer in the business and we, we came to a resolution and 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 ultimately that's what 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 was the best thing moving forward but there's always those fun and games and they're always going to come at well with between me and my other business partner he he played some sport he played he's a great guy really smart entrepreneur done really really well he was actually he's because a family affair as well so he was his brother-in-law but of, of all the three he's got the public profile i do so who's going to make the news i will who are they going to come after me of course they're going to come after me in terms of that kind of um dialogue or this sort of well not dialogue that sort of narrative so it's just a matter of okay let's just just put back it'll go through let's just stay on stay on stay on folk let's Let's stay on point in terms of what actually really matters with this and what is actually going to play out and what is fact. And that's what we did. And I think that's probably the learning through sport. Like it's just, you just got to stay on, you got to stay in that balanced position where you you know what what you're doing. You, you know where you're heading and you know you know what's actually going on. All the other stuff is just hearsay and it's noise and it's, it is, it's a whole lot of noise and it's so easy to get distracted by that. Well, that's not true and da-da-da. I remember pulling in my business partner a couple of times and said, don't worry about it. We don't need to react to that. Ultimately, that's what matters is what's going to happen at the end of this month or the end of this trial and let's work towards that and let's stay stay on point on those really key areas. And that's probably, I think that's probably one of the great lessons I got through sport, but it's definitely during that difficult time. No one likes having bad stuff because ultimately you can deal with it, but then it reflects badly on your, on, on your family and friends. That they, they have to deal with it. That's probably the thing which I, which during those times, and I don't miss that public profile in that regard because, yeah, when it when it gets nasty and personal, it, it actually has, you can deal with it, but it's, it's having a bit of a go with the people around you who you love and who care for you, and I don't like that aspect of it. Um, and if you flipped it around on the people who write and say a lot of that stuff, they oh, this isn't fair. You go, well, hang on. Just maybe that's what you potentially need to think about when you, because of the responsibility. I really think there's a real responsibility, even more so now with our social media and people that can be faceless, really attack people in a way which, yeah, I, I just don't like that because 80 plus percent of the stuff that is on those those platforms is negative and, and, and it encourages that. It's just not nice and it's not a good way. And people talk about mental health and everything. Yeah, it takes a discipline not to take that in and 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 and, and hear it. But you always you you always got to know some of it's there. You always know. Well, I can hear it in your whatever voice it is. That, like it is, you're composed, but yeah, you feel it. And and I'm really happy to see your business is where it's at. You're, you're in the UK. You're, you're booming. You're setting up in Ireland. There's so many opportunities for you. Yeah, well, the business was always good. Like it was with. We've grown it. We grew it together, but that's another piece about teamwork. I don't want to even go in there. I don't even <laughs> spend enough time speaking about the past. But it was always a good business. It was always going to be, and we've always developed good people, good team. So things I learned, like employ people who are better than you. Understand people who have got skill sets that you don't have. If they're going to help you come along, and and that's creating a really good environment, building a good team of people, and they trust and they're 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 respected, and they get on and do their job. Like it sounds really simple, doesn't it? Like just focus on doing your job, do it as well as you can. Simple, and but the rest will take care of itself. Of life and COVID and every throwing, everything throwing, thrown at us, there's so much to deal with, isn't there? To stay composed, to stay balanced. Yeah, there's a real discipline. So you've got to work at it. But that ability just to say, hey, hang on, that's what I've got to do now. Like that's one thing. It's what are you doing now? Like not what the past is the past. That's done. The future's the future, but you kind of, like, you're heading towards it. What are you doing now? Like, 
that's really, really important. Now is what's important. And I think that's um, really critical. And now let me ask you some easier questions. We've asked you the tough ones. Uh, let me ask you some questions. This is called the Mad Minute. Wizard will put some music on the background. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, George Gregan. The first word or sentence that comes to your mind, just hit me with it. Number one, your favourite song. Every little thing she does is magic. I've just gone for that. It's got a police song. It had to be a police Good police song. song. Number two, favourite movie. Untouchables. Three, favourite book. Power of the Dog. Don no. Winslow. Four, favourite possession or possessions. Oh, yeah, I don't really have a lot of favourite possessions. Um, I'm, I'm not really that. Um, photo of my kids. Nice. Uh, this will be a hard one with your international exposure. Number five, your favourite food. Oh, it's Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> it's <laughs> Japanese. Six, what time do you wake up every morning? Yeah, it's my body clock's around quarter to eight. It's around quarter to eight. What time do you go to bed? I try to get my head on the pillow around ten-ish. I, I big believe I want to get. Eight. I try to get eight, eight plus hours as much as I can. Do you have a morning routine? Yeah, coffee, coffee. Like I, I I've got a sleep cycle, so you touch your phone. So no, it's definitely coffee. I thought you were going to say PTP exercise routine there. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite? So, so, I've got an aqua core, like it varies. Got, but yeah, it, but definitely if, if I had to do it, if I measured it, it's definitely coffee. I, I love coffee in the morning. What's I need your, to wake up. What does your weekly fitness schedule look like? It's probably three sessions a week. Some with, I've got, we've got a great product called the aqua core. So it's unstable loading. So the water's moving around. So you're always challenging your balance and I'll do a range of different movements. So there'll be an aqua core session. There's always a mobility kind of um, yoga type session, Pilates. So there's really just turning on a few things and making sure I've got range of movement. And I'll do a little bit of a cycle. So like a little bit of that cardio, which often might do that on the weekend where I'll cycle. Like in the UK, we'll cycle to Hyde Park and I'll do a little session, which is a combination of bands. Might do a little bit of like short distance running so I get the heart rate up. But everything is under 30 minutes. Bang for buck, as Jason Weber says. There you go. That links into the next question, George. Favourite productivity tip? I think plan your day. Like almost break it into sessions like cricket. Like what are you doing in your first session, second session, last session? Number 10, your most vivid childhood memory. Seeing a giraffe drinking at an African waterhole in dry season about to get attacked by a crocodile and its mate kicking the absolute shit out of us. <laughs> that, was, that was looking after us. That was with my mum. I was six years of age and I still remember it and I could hear the thud. But the, the other giraffe, but a giraffe kicking is sort of slow motion and it right on the money, this croc turned around and ran away and let the, let the other one on its knees drink comfortably. So that was a pretty powerful moment. Yeah, wow. I was not expecting that. Um, final one. What achievement in your life are you most proud of? Oh, just my children, all three of them. Hmm. Yeah, having kids is amazing. Having three healthy kids and seeing them grow into young adults is even better. I've loved today. It's always interesting when you think you know a lot about someone, you put it together, you ask a few mutual friends, but then actually what comes out? What comes out to me today is the respect you have for all the people you've met along the way. I think that's it's something that runs right through everything you do, the constant learning, the lack of ego and the hard work. I think you've underplayed that. Like you work your backside off, you, know, you work hard, you put in the reps and sets. You mentioned that before. So in finishing up, is there a question that you would like me to ask you or is there a question you'd like to ask me and then get off to the day and grow PTP to the world? Yeah, you know, keep growing. No, I think, yeah, I think uh, I had a good chat. Like you mentioned Jason Webber. And, and I've got, he's been an amazing trainer for my career. It was John Pryor, who's worked with Eddie Jones. He worked with the Wallabies and he's worked with so many great teams, the Brumbies. 
But I had a little podcast where we had a chat with him for for our company around just the whole whole piece. And if you could categorise how you coach, let's call it S and C or the whole um, physical preparation. What, what's your key sort of mantra in terms of if you're if you were coaching me, what are the, the the key principles you'd want me to take away as your coach for S and C or for life in general? Oh, it could be a bit of both. But I think a lot of stuff in S and C tries ties into work. Like, mm, <laughs> like JP, for example, says he says like pump up your tires. Like you can do everything else, but if you're not doing from the ground up, then obviously you're just running on flat tires. So, and again, that's balance. Mm. Are you doing things in balance? Is there an understanding? Is there a, is there an understanding of how one leads into the other? So it's a, again, really good life lessons. Yeah, it's a great great question. I'll try and make it simple for you, George. It'd be somewhat as elegant as you've been through today's presentation. But if I'm working with any high performer, I look at three areas. You know, studied exercise phys like you, I've studied psychology. I think I used to make it too technical. I do this and that. And Angela Poon, who I run Stride Stronger with, says when I get excited, I try and put everything in the program, flap my wings. So I've learned yeah, yeah. a more simple yet targeted approach. So here's how I would go, George. Number one is how do you optimize energy? And I'd look at yep. what in your life fills up your energy buckets and what is is draining energy. So there's a high-profile athlete I'm working with at the moment who's got a, a really big performance next year. And the first thing I'm doing with him is managing energy. Yeah? Yeah. Until you optimize that, you don't go to the next thing. Second part, what do you want to be? And that's that's yeah. future focus that can be, you know, for you, be an interesting question. You've been Australia's most cap wallaby, but what do you want to be? You, you obviously have a goal to be a great father, but what else is bigger? So really get big, get grand. And then number three is, all right, let's reverse engineer or as Rev and I read Igni. I have this ridiculous ability to talk backwards as quick as I speak forwards. It's a totally mm. useless mm. skill. Helps me pick, pick up languages. But then we go, okay, like, where do you want to be? Now let's put in the coordinates and, and the GPS and okay. we'll work backwards. So they're the three things. Number one, let's optimise your energy. Two, what do you want to be? What's the impact, the legacy? And three, let's work backwards and try and get there. Yeah, good. Roadmap, good. That's how it's got to be, mate. Perfect. Just took 20 years to that's work out simple, simple plans, George. <laughs> I used to make well, it really hard. complex. Well, it's simplicity. It's, it's complex to get to make something simple. It's not easy. But um, I think that's and it's, that's what good coaches do. They, and I think I've you've used Jace Weber. I, I mentioned JP just recently. They can actually just bring it down to those key and mentioned Scotty Wiseman earlier. That's that's the that's the that's the essence of a great coach, great teacher. They they actually give you those little simple Stories. nuggets, which means so much more. As you say, they can provide that. You're flapping your wings just hearing what they say. It brings that sort of um, response. So it's good. Been good to chat, mate. So for people who would like to follow the George Gregan story or get in contact or follow you, what's the best platform? I do a little bit on Twitter. I poke my head up. I don't do Instagram. I'm a little bit on um, LinkedIn from a business perspective. But no, I've, 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 you've probably got a sense from my answers about social media. Um, well, I keep a pretty low profile on that because um, I just, I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of it. And I don't like the idea. I'm a bit old school. There's a great book called Brain Rules. I've yeah, mentioned the Don Winslow. Yeah, we, we weren't meant to be looking down and looking at technology. We were meant to head up. We we're meant to be walking, eyes up. So I try and minimise my time on technology, even though I'm working in the business. I've spent a lot of fair bit on it, but I'll, I'll have time to say, okay, put it down. Let's get away from it and you know, go and walk and take in some fresh air, etc. Otherwise, you are you are attached to it, and I, and I think that's not a good thing. 
So, well, you got yeah, some UK you sunshine can, can behind you. you. Go walk, yeah, get some 100%. fresh air, and get into your day. George, thank you for your time today, mate. Good on you. Thanks, Andrew. Bye, mate. Hey, it's Andrew, and we hope you enjoyed that episode. We would really appreciate it if you helped us amplify the Stride Stronger with Andrew May podcast by sharing episodes with colleagues and friends and going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help us get this message out to a wider audience. And if you would like to know more about how Strive Stronger uplifts teams through optimizing human performance and well-being, make sure you check out strivestronger.com. And if you'd like to know more about my personal practice, focusing on all things human performance, go to andrewmade.com where you can explore the books I have written, including MatchFit, which has now sold over 85,000 copies, or book me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite. Or if you'd like to really turbocharge your business and personal success and wake up to a better way of living, working and leading, check out my brand new evidence-based Human Performance Academy that starts in July. I'm really, really looking forward to getting that going. And if you'd like to receive regular updates from me each month, make sure you subscribe to my monthly e-newsletter, the AM edition.